Tune-Up, your Wednesday night Bible study. Each week we gather together to tune in to the Word of God, learning and growing as we study how to apply God's Word in our everyday lives. Join us at 7.30 for this powerful Bible study experience. And now, let's get ready for Tune-Up. Welcome to The Tune-Up, a new interactive Bible study hosted by Global Outreach Church. I'm Lynette Jackson, and I wanted to just come on for a few moments just to share some information about this new Bible study. It is an interactive Bible study, so you can ask questions of our speakers. So all you have to do is just put your comments or ask a question in the comment section on Facebook and our speaker will be acknowledging those and reading those and answering your questions at the end of the Bible study. The second thing is this QR code at the top of the screen there. If you scan that QR code, you'll be able to give an offering at the end of service. You'll be able to donate to our food pantry. You'll be able to go to our website. You'll be able to leave a prayer request because that is super important. And you'll also be able to view our previous messages. I'm so excited that we're starting this new Bible study format uh, this year in 2023, uh, hosted by Global Outreach Church. Well, I'm Lynette Jackson, and if you're ready, I'm ready. Let's get ready for a tune-up. Praise the Lord. Woo. It's another time of refreshing, another time for tune-up. And we are here to thank Him, to honor Him. All right, you can join me as we sing and worship and give glory to him who is like unto thee oh Lord who is like unto thee oh Lord amongst the God Always do 
Wow, 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 wow. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Hallelujah. Man, thank you so much for that wonderful rendition, Deola. Uh, bless God for you, my friend. That hymn gets me every time. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Glory to God. My friend, we don't need to strive if we just stop trying so hard and begin to trust much more. And good evening and welcome to every one of you to this edition of the tune-up from around the world, far and near. We welcome you. We bless God for you. We thank God that you are able to share your incredible time with us this evening. And I'm trusting God that something that God is going to say will bless you, establish you, and get you on your way to fulfilling God's destiny for your life. So call your friends, tag your family along, and don't forget, send us your questions, your comments, and even your prayer requests while this program is going on. This is an interactive program, and we want to hear from you. We want to be able to share with you so that together we can learn and grow together. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Amen. And so, for tonight, I'm going to be tuning up from Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3 will be our uh, uh, book uh, that we're going to be studying from tonight. And I began this series on the Christian life's warfare last week. And in the opening passage of the book of Nehemiah, we saw how Nehemiah inquired of what happened to those who were left behind in Judah. And the bad report that came to him broke his heart. And he prayed and he asked the king under whom he served to be released to go back to Judah to see what he could do to rebuilding the broken walls of Jerusalem. Okay, so chapter two now gives us a Nehemiah going to Jerusalem, doing a reconnaissance, checking it out to see exactly what's the uh, damage report. How badly is the damage that's taking place to those, to the wall? And so that's chapter two. And to, in order to do that, he received the time off from the king. He received the letters of authority from the king, empowering him to do what he was about to do. And then, of course, he received also uh, uh, authority or power from the king for the resources that he will need. Time, authority, and resources. And with those three things, he went to Jerusalem. So we pick it up from there tonight in Nehemiah chapter 3. And so tonight, even though the overall theme is the Christian life's warfare, but for tonight, I want to particularly speak on the gates of spiritual progression. The gates of spiritual progression. How are we going to do that? We're going to do that by studying the spiritual meaning of the 10 gates of Jerusalem. All of these are preliminary into us getting to the meat of the world beginning from next week. You know, when you go to a good restaurant, okay, you get seated, 
They give you your drink, water, Coke, iced tea, whatever you drink. Uh, you order appetizers uh, just to keep you um, uh, to keep you salivating before your meal gets there. You order, get a drink, get the appetizers, maybe get a salad, maybe get a soup, and then eventually, the meal, the main meal, or the main meal or the entree comes to the table. And so that's what we're doing. Last week and this week is like appetizer. Okay, we are getting ready for the dive in that we're going to begin to see from next week. So Nehemiah chapter 3 is where we start. And I want to take you now to see the diagram of what the gates of Jerusalem looked like in the time of Nehemiah. There you go on your screen. That's what it looks like. Jeremiah's walls and gates during Nehemiah's time. Okay, so let's just get started. So uh, as you can see on your screen, there are 10 gates. And like I told you last week, these gates allowed entry to within the city of Jerusalem or for me and you spiritually, let's enter into his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise. Psalms 100 verse 4. So a gate is an entrance, an entry point into a particular place. So the first gate that's mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 3, we read in verse 1 and verse 32. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren and the priest and built the ship gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built as far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated it then as far as the Tower of Hanel. Now, verse 32. So we see verse 1 and verse 32 talks about this ship gate. And between the upper room at the corner, as far as the ship gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants made repair. Now, this is very, very significant that this ship gate is the very first mentioned of all the gates of the seed of the wall of Jerusalem. It was called the ship gate because this was the gate which the sheep and the lambs used in sacrifice were brought through. The sheep gate then speaks to me and you of the cross and the sacrifice that was made for our sins. This is the starting point of everything, but you also notice if you read the entire chapter as we've read in verse 32, that the sheep gate is also mentioned at the very end and once you've come full circle. That is because everything starts and ends with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection from the cross. Everything you and I will ever become, everything we will ever have, is as a result of that sacrifice. Amen? So the sheep gate is the very first gate that we see mentioned in the scripture. And like I said, this is the gate through which all the lambs and the animals that were deemed for sacrifice in Jerusalem were brought into the city. Now, next to the sheep gate, you have in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 3. Let's read it. Also the sons of Hassaniah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. That's Nehemiah 3, 3. So next to the ship gate, we have the word fish gate. Fish gate. This is the next gate that was mentioned in the scripture. 
It was called the fish gate because the fishermen will bring their catch in through this gate to be so now isn't God amazing? I mean, it's just really amazing to me that God will itemize and dedicate each one of these gates in, in the way in which it's being done. And today, thousands of years later, later, is this speaking to us with serious relevance? The fishermen did not take in their fish through the ship gate. They brought it through the fish gate, okay? It was called the fish gate again because the fishermen would bring their catch in through this gate to be sold. For us today, it speaks of evangelism as we have been called in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, to be fishers of men. Amen. Okay? It is a natural progression in our Christian life that after seeing that Jesus died for our sins, we would now want to tell others about it. Now, this is a direct response to our being adopted into the family of God. You see, when you are born again, you receive salvation, you are born again, you are a part of God's family. No doubt about that. Okay? But spiritual ad ad adoption does not speak on how, how you enter the family of God. Spiritual adoption speaks of your role or involvement in the family of God. Now, this is important as we look at this fish gate because you became a child of God at the sheep gate. Next journey for you is the fish gate, which talks of evangelism. So we see here a distinction between you being born again at the sheep gate to you now getting involved in the business of your father in the fish gate as an adopted son. As an adopted son, you are placed into sonship as an adult, which means you have the right, you've been empowered and blessed to become involved in the family business. Evangelism. Every last one of us, whether you've been born again one year, one day, or 10 years, or 90 years, every single child of God is called into this area ministry. We have to pass through this gate. Like Jesus said in John chapter 4, we must needs go through this gate. Amen. Now, every now and then I find some people in church that says to me, oh, pastor, I'm not fulfilled. Uh, you know, I, I'm just not, I, I, I'm not feeling anything. I'm not, I'm not getting fulfilled. I'm blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm just not fulfilled. You know, you know why people are not fulfilled? People are not fulfilled because they are constipated. Yeah. They are basically spiritually constipated. They come to church. They listen to tapes. They watch TV, uh, messages on TV. On and on, they are receiving and receiving and receiving, and they are not giving it out. They are not participating in evangelism. They are not sharing the love of God with anybody else. And let me just take a moment to talk about this, because this is very important. This is very, very important in the heart of God. Jesus is counting on me and you to propagate his message, to tell the dying, helpless world of how much he loves them and how much he's prepared a place for them, how he has forgiven them of their sins. 
without them asking. It's look, it's 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 it's, it's also do so. If not us, who? If not now, when? Amen. So the solution to spiritual constipation is to share. Share. Share what you know. Tell people about Jesus. And watch Jesus begin to just get you fired up. Begin to see what happens, the dynamics of what takes place in your life when you begin to share. Surveys have shown that believers who have been saved less than two years win the most people to the Lord. For instance, we see this in John chapter 4, verse 28. The Samaritan woman, immediately she encountered Jesus. Nobody had to teach us these three steps in evangelism. She didn't go to a, an evangelistic uh, seminar. She got born again. Jesus, come, uh, and She encountered Jesus and she went back to her village. Hallelujah. And began to tell them, come see a man who told me all about myself. Amen. So yes, we encounter him at the ship gate. We move from there to the fish gate and we must actively become involved in evangelism. You don't have to be a pastor, apostle, prophet, teacher to evangelize. Every one of us that has received Jesus, you have a story to tell. But you know what's more important? There's someone out there waiting to hear your story. There's someone out there waiting to be lit up by the story of what God has done for you. Just testify. You don't need to know scriptures to evangelize. Now, nah, it's helpful if you know scriptures. But evangelism just simply saying, telling somebody how good this God is. From the ship gate to the fish gate. And the next gate there now is the what we call the old gate. The old gate. And I need the diagram back on the screen. If you can get it for me, please. The old gate. Thank you very much. Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 6. Moreover, Jehodiah, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Bezodiah, repaired the old gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. That's Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 6. The old gate was next to the fish gate and it speaks to us of the old ways of truth. A young Christian, having experienced the ship gate, then the fish gate, soon sees the need for experiencing the old gate. This means Learning the old ways of truth that never change. God's moral ways do not change with dispensation. Okay? So the old gate speaks to us of ancient landmarks in the scriptures. It speaks to us of the non-variables of the word of God, the virgin birth, the blood of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and so forth and so on. So the old gate helps establish us in the foundational truths of the word of God that is not changeable. Today, the media all around us is promoting a permissive society where people can do what they want, when they want. The point is, no man can change God's doctrine no matter how we try. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, 2, he said, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word of God that you may grow thereby. Amen. So now let's move on in our journey. From the old gate now, we move to the valley gate. The valley gate. And I'm going to read from Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 13. Hanun 
and the inhabitants of Zanoa repaired the valley gate. They built it, hung its doors with bolts and bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the refuse gate. Now, this is very, very important. I need to go back to the diagram. This is very, very important. Looking at the diagram of the walls, you notice that you notice that there's a long distance before you come to this next gate called the valley gate. In other words, from the old gate to the valley gate, as far as you can see on this diagram, is the longest of journey or distance on the entire diagram. Why is that? You see, for the new believer, the Lord in his tender mercies allows a honeymoon type of period where he teaches you about his presence and his presence of God is strong in your life. Everything is kumbaya, honky-dory. Everything is working fine. When you touch anything, it turns to gold. I mean, you cannot have a bad day if you look for it in a honeymoon period. Amen? So the Lord allows a honeymoon type period where he teaches you and his presence is strong in your life. Now, this can go on for some time as indicated by the positioning of the old and valley gates again on that diagram. You notice on that diagram again, the distance between the old gate and the valley gate. That's the longest of distance in the entire diagram uh, in, in the, in the, on the walls of Jerusalem. Now, so, so even though you've enjoyed the old gate, you've been, you've been established in foundational teachings, the point is, sooner or later, the valley gate must come. Anybody that's been born again for any, any, a little period of time, you, you now know that the valley gate comes sooner or later. The valley gate speaks to us of the humbling trials, tribulations, and persecutions. The valley gate speaks to us of the humbling and trials that we experience that God uses in our life, by the way, to promote personal growth. After being saved, after witnessing and being driven back to the study of the world, we come to the valley gate. Yes. Any teacher will tell you that after you've been taught for a while, there must be a test. I mean, we all went to school. <laughs> you sit in that class, the teacher is teaching and teaching. On Friday, pop quiz, here it comes. Boom. That's your trial. That's your test. Amen. So the Bible says in 1 Peter 4.12 concerning the valley gate. He said, don't be surprised concerning the fiery trials that come your way. Okay. And James tells us as well that we should count it all joy when we fall into various trials because the testing of your faith works patience. Amen. But then it goes on to say uh, in verse 4 of James chapter 1. But let patience have a perfect work that you may be entire and complete, lacking nothing. So the believer must remember that in the natural, this is very important. I want you to pay attention to this. In the natural, nothing, hardly nothing grows on the mountaintops. But it certainly grows in the valleys. Think about that. In the natural, 
Hardly, hardly does anything grow on the mountaintops. But it certainly does in the valley. So it is, as it is in the natural, so it is in the spirit. It's never nice to experience it, but it always produces fruit. Now, just as a point of um, reference here, uh, California Central Valley is the world's largest patch of class one soil. The best soil there is, is found in the California Central Valley. Do you hear that? Valley. It's not the mountain. Valley. That valley alone yields one third of all the produce that is grown in the United States. That valley is the world's largest supplier of canned tomatoes. It covers a span of about 450 miles in length and about 60 miles in width. Now, there's something interesting that happened in the valley in, his, in the scriptures. Something very, very interesting. A story we all know. We're all very familiar with. That is the story of um, David and Goliath. That's one of the most famous biblical war battles in the scriptures. And it happens at the valley of Elah. Elah means oak. No wonder. No wonder. Believers are called the oaks of righteousness. What happened at the valley of Elah? The enemy was put to shame. Goliath was killed and destroyed. And consequently, the Philistines were no longer a threat to Israel from that day forward. So, in that valley of Elah, what happened? A young man was promoted. David came out of obscurity and grew to become a figure, in a leader figure in Israel that was incredible, uh, of incredible stature. Amen? Good. So let's move on in our journey. So now from the valley gate, we now go to the fifth gate, which is the dung gate. The dung gate. It's also called the refuse gate. The dung gate or the refuse uh, gate. And that we can read in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 14. Markija, the son of Rechab, leader of the district of Beth Hakarem, repaired the refuse gate. He built it and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Nehemiah 3, verse 14. Now, again, there's, a, there's quite a distance from, uh, uh, from the uh, valley gate to this dung gate. Indicating, indicating, unfortunately, that the that the valley expense can carry on for some time. Okay, it depends on how you handle it. The result of that is seen in this next gate, the dung gate or the refuse gate. This is the gate that will take all the refuse and the rubbish out of Jerusalem. The dung gate or the refuse gate is the gate from which all the trash and all the refuse is taken out of. Jerusalem. So valley experiences are used to clear away rubbish so that through faith, refined by fire, can come forth and produce fruit in our lives. Looking again at that diagram, you'll notice that there's a dramatic turning of the corner. Notice that. There's a dramatic turning of the corner that takes place. That is significant. It's allowing us to know that from the valley gate to the dung gate, you've learned a few things. You've grown a little bit and you've made some adjustments. You've turned the corner. 
Amen. When we come to the down gate, there's a sharp turn in the road and we begin to move upward again. So from the down gate now, we are going to the next gate, Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 15, which is called the Fountain Gate. Shalom, the son of Kolohosea, leader of this district of Mispas, repaired the Fountain Gate. He built it, covered it, hung its doors with its bolts and bars, and repaired the wall of the pool of Shelah by the king's garden, as far as the stairs that go down from the city of the David. Now, let me just say something. You know, my name is Banka Kimola or Bankole Akimola, and people have called me all kinds of things, Guacamole. I mean, but listen, when I'm reading all these names in this in this scripture, my name is listen, it's a piece of cake compared to some of these names, man. Praise God. All right, so the fountain gate is located very closely to the down gate. In other words, after a valid type experience where rubbish in our lives is cleared out and true faith comes forth, then the fountains begin to flow and it doesn't take long. Notice the distance between the down gate and the fountain gate. See, all the rubbish that's clogged up the power of God from flowing in your life, once that rubbish is gone, there comes the fountain. Okay? This speaks to us of the living waters of the Holy Spirit that cleanse our lives and empower us for the Christian life. This valley is located near the pool of Shalom. Same place where Jesus anointed the blind man with saliva. Next, Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 26. Nehemiah 3, 26, we're making our progress. Moreover, the Nethinim who dwelt in Ophel made repairs as far as the place in front of the water gate toward the east and on the projecting tower. Amen. So next to the fountain gate is the water gate. And we are not talking about politics in the United States with Nixon. <laughs> That's not the water, water gate we're talking about. This is the gate from which the Gibeonites carried water for the Israelites' congregation in Joshua chapter 9. Amen. The water gate is a picture of the word of God and its effect on our life. It is no coincidence that this gate was located next to the fountain gate as the two of them often go together. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes the word of God alive to us personally, allowing cleansing, encouragement, and direction to take place in our lives. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God is God's instrument of our sanctification. Remember John 17, 17? Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is true. And Ephesians 5, 26 talks about how the washing of the water by the Word of God. Amen? So now from the uh, water gate, we move on to number eight, the horse gate. The horse gate. And we read this in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 28. Beyond the horse gate, the priest made repairs, each in front of his own house. Nehemiah 3, 28. Okay, so now we are looking at the horse gate. Nothing from, God's, from God comes without contention. Let, that, let me say that one more time. Nothing. Nothing from God comes without contention. I remember years ago, very, very early on in my in the ministry, um, I went to a church in, uh, where, where, where was this church? In Riverdale. 
River Day, Georgia. And uh, I went there to preach. I know the pastor very well. He was a friend of mine, Pastor Billy Shara of Blessed Memory now. And I remember as, uh, you know, we fellowship after the administration, I said to him, I said, Bank, I'm going to sponsor and pay for your next mission trip. Wow, I was so excited, man. I said, praise God, you know, the money's in the bank, you know. But he could not fulfill that promise. And so as, as late before God, I said, man, what happened? This man is a man of God. He's, he, he, you know, he's a man of integrity. He made a promise publicly and then he didn't come to pass. And God said to me, he said, Bank, you did not contend for it. He, did. he said, the moment the man spoke it out, there was contention for it. There was contention for it. So you see, what I'm saying to you is, there's nothing from God that God has promised you that the, there, will be no, there will not be a contention for. Jesus had to contend. Remember Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus went to be baptized at Jordan River, the Bible says the heavens opened and the Spirit of God descended upon him uh, like a dove and an announcement came and said this is my beloved son in whom I'm well placed. Amen. And then next thing we know the Bible says he was sent to the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Amen. There was a contention. There was a battle in the spirit that had to take place before Jesus was ultimately released into the ministry he came to do. And so the horse gate speaks to me and you of the warfare that we will encounter while we're here. You see, because horses are used in battle and they're a symbol of war in scripture. You see this in Revelation chapter 19, verse 9, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. It's also, it also speaks of militancy of the spirit and readiness in battle. Praise God. We're making progress. And so now from the horse gate, we move on to the east gate, Nehemiah 3:29. After them, Zadok, the son of Ema, made repairs in front of his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, made repairs. So the east gate has been set aside, especially by God, and was known by the Jews for one particular event. The coming of the Messiah. The coming of the Messiah. So the east gate is not happened for us yet. Because he has not come back. But when Jesus returns, it will be coming from the east gate. Amen. For the believer, it speaks of the living hope and expectancy that we have in this life. That Jesus, one day, soon and very soon, will come back again. And now that leads us to the last gate, the inspection gate. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 31. And I'm reading this from the NLT. Nehemiah 3, verse 31 from the NLT. It says, in, uh, it says, Markija, one of the ghostsmiths, repaired the wall as far as the housing for the temple servants and merchants across the inspection gate. Then continue as far as the upper room at the corner. The final gate is the inspection gate. This gate speaks to us of the Bema seat of Christ, where our lives are inspected and rewarded appropriately again so the both the east gate and the inspection gate are in the future we are called to live our lives with eternity in view and this is so important child of god many of us only think in terms of the life we have now that is very sad we 
are living here. Remember, you are you are on a sojourn. You are on a pilgrimage. You are in this world, but not of this world. So we should be constantly thinking of the future, the life we have ahead, our eternal life. When I say eternal life, I don't mean I'm talking about now about the future, about when you get to heaven, when Jesus actually comes back again. That is important. We are called to live with eternity in view, caring more for the things of eternity than the temporal that we see around us. So what does that do? It helps me and you to think of accountability. Because we know that one day we'll come when we all have to give an account. Amen? So really, that, 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 that sums up the spiritual, the spiritual progression of the gates of Jerusalem and what it means for me and you today. And next week, we're going to get into the real, uh, into the, uh, to the meat or the entree of this Christian life here, uh, Christian, Christian's life warfare. Amen? Uh, there are a few things I can still say here uh, on this teaching, but I'm not going to go into them now. Uh, if you want the notes, ask for it. You, you know, I have some more things in my note that I'm not going to touch. I want to get the questions and the comments and just get a chance to hear from you because this is supposed to be an interactive uh, Bible study time. Okay, so let's just go to the questions. If you have any questions there or any comments, let's just see. Sister Shadi, thank you so much. You've been very faithful. I see, hear you all the time. And so I see your question here in the gates of spiritual progression. Is there a sequence or can one go through anyone who gets at any time? Oh my God, this is a, this is a classic Professorial question. Professor Shadi can be. I salute you. Yeah, so so the way God set it up, there's there, there is a sequence. But after how can I put it this way? So for instance, okay, so you are, you, are, you you become born again, shipgate. You go on to uh okay, so so you you are you are timid, you don't really uh, you, you, you're not given to, for evangelism, so you skip that. You go to the old uh, gate. You learn about the foundation. You learn about some things. Ah, I say, oh man, I, 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 I need to start evangelizing. So you go back. So to answer your question, even though we sit arranged like this, it does not mean it will go like this. Although certain things are very, uh, how can I put it? Certain things are very consequential. For instance, after you leave the old gate. The valley is waiting. That one you can skip it. You don't skip. You don't skip that. Again, remember what I said. As a teacher, you teach and teach, and what comes next? There's a test. There's a test. So yes, certain things you skip and go back and forth. Other things they, they are consequent consequential, in the sense that if you get a teaching for sure, there will be a testing for it. Or you you get some teaching, you get a little testing. And you go back and get more teaching. So it, it just helps you locate yourself. It helps us to be able to locate in what phase am I in my life now? Am I in an old gate? Am I in a valley gate? Am I in a refuse? Am I in a dung? So once you understand what these progressions mean, you can locate yourself. But to answer your question exactly, no, you do it does not, it does not have to follow that sequence, except though, except let me let me rephrase that. The sheep gate, absolutely. You cannot be a child of God unless and until you participate on the sheep gate. That's the starting point. And like we said at the beginning, that's the beginning and the end of everything. Amen. I hope that helps you. 
Praise God. It's good to see you, Sashade. Thank you so much for, 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 for logging on. Are there no other questions or comments? Praise God. Fidel, well done. Thank you so much, sir. Amen. God is gonna is ready to rebuild our lives. He's faithful. Amen. I, I received that. My, I received that for myself, and I received for everyone who's logging on tonight in Jesus' name. Thank you, brother Fidel. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. All right, Cheryl Akimola, we must share this goodness of Jesus. You have a story to tell. Amen. I cannot agree with that anymore. And like I said, every one of us, every last sing, every single one of us have been charged. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. That's one day. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. Now, one of the things, let me, thanks for asking that question, uh, Pastor Sharon. One of the reasons for which many people don't share, they, fig they figure, you know, I don't know enough Bible, I didn't go to seminary, I'm not a pastor. Listen, listen, you're you making it too complicated. Romans 12, 11 says what? We overcome him by the blood of the lamb and by the words of our testimony. That's it. That's it. You don't need to know Jack. Other than Jesus is good. Look at John chapter 9. The blind man. What did he do? All I know is I was once blind and now I see. You theologians go figure it out. I'm not a theologian. <laughs> All I'm telling you, listen, I was once blind and now I see. So for me and you, maybe you are not blind. You can say, oh, I used to be an alcoholic. Now Jesus delivered me. I don't drink any longer. I used to smoke. I don't smoke any longer. Jesus did it. How he did it? Go ask him. I don't know. All I know is I'm delivered. You are looking at a picture of deliverance. If you ever want to see deliverance, you're looking at me. I used to chase women everywhere. I used to be blah, blah, blah. But now I'm delivered from that. Amen. So, I mean, your testimony is what brings people in. Amen. The Bible says it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. So, me and you, whether you're at work, at home, in your business, at school, wherever platform you find yourself, see and ask God for the opportunity to let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify the name of your Father who is in heaven. That's the essence of living. That's the essence of living. Again, to those people that tell me, oh, I'm, I'm not fulfilled. I'm, what are you doing? If you're not doing jack, of course you're not going to be fulfilled. You're not going to be fulfilled because you are created to give glory to God. That's that's it. That's the purpose of our creation. Amen? Hallelujah. I don't know if anybody has anything. Tam, it's good to see you. How's my little boy doing there? I hope he's doing well. Praise God. Get, get, get the little one for me, Tam. It's good to hear from you tonight. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. And so, yes, it's a hero. You're welcome. Praise God. Oh, okay. You, that's a question. Explain nothing comes from God without contention. Okay. Anytime God makes you a promise, you can expect that the enemy will give you a hard time. That's what I'm saying by that. Nothing. Nothing comes from God without contention. Now, it does not mean that you will lose it, you lose the promise, or you lose the blessing. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that expect opposition. Expect that whenever God wants to do something beautiful in your life, there's going to be opposition. Before you get a real deal, Expect the counterfeit. Expect the counterfeit. It, 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 that's just that's just that's just the way it works. That's just the way it works. 
So, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I don't know if, uh, what else I need to say about that. I use the situation with Jesus, uh, who God made a public affirmation of being his son in whom uh, is, is beloved. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And what happens? The enemy fought him. The enemy did not win, cannot win, will not win, in your case, in anybody's case. But what I'm just saying is, don't be foolish to think that because it's promised, it's just going to be handed to you on a silver platter. Okay, classic example. God gave them the promised land. Remember? But you got to show up. Showing up is a contention. It's a battle. The promised land has been given. Yeah. But you better show up dressed with the full armor of God. Otherwise, it just be a promise that would not manifest. Amen? So, uh, contention does not mean that you're going to lose this or lose that. No, no. It just means you are prepared. You understand that you're in a spiritual battle of your life. And you win. You win. How do you enter the ship gate? Thank you, salvation. Oh, my goodness. This is Israel. My Israel. The Israel of God. Hallelujah. Israel is a little young boy, man. But this guy is sharp. He's smart. And I'm glad you're asking this question, Israel. So you enter the ship gate by being born again. You give your life to Jesus. You acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. What does that mean? That simply means you acknowledge the fact that you recognize that you are born in the old Adamic nature. Okay? And because you are born in the old Adamic nature, you will never be able to fulfill your God-given potential. Because that God-given potential can only be realized by possessing the God DNA. You have the Adamic nature from birth. But now you must be reborn or born again to receive God's nature, God's DNA. So now you can be in consonance, in alignment with God to fulfill God's purpose for your life. Jesus came so that he can become the bridge to bridge us, to bring us together, to bring us back. That's the word to bring us back to God's original intention. When you and I were born as a child, as a baby, we are in the Adamic nature, in the Adamic race. In the Adamic race, we cannot fulfill God's purpose. So Jesus came to bridge that gap so that we can be reconnected to what God had in mind for us before we were ever born. That's why everyone must be born again. So the sheep gate represents the place of sacrifice, the place where Jesus' blood was shed in our behalf. The ultimate sacrifice that demonstrates to us the love of God in a powerful, significant way. Thank you so much for that question, Israel. So every person who will go to heaven must enter through the sheep gate by being born again. Amen. And so I just want to thank all of you for joining on tonight. And uh, we serve the nations across the world, uh, in Thailand, in Sierra Leone, in Vietnam. Um, oh, my goodness. I, I, I'm running blank now. Uh, in Nigeria, in Ghana, um, in Thailand, in um, uh, Myanmar. We are missionaries all over those places and partners. And so I want to just enjoy your help in carrying this message to, uh, to all those nations across the world and of course here at home thank god we have a food pantry where we're ministering 
for those who are uh, insecure when it comes to food, uh, who are in distress, the distress among us. Uh, and so there's a QR code up there, you know, just uh, look at it and uh, uh, scan it and, you know, you see the direction of how you can connect with us and, and join us in being financially responsible for all these various ministries. And at the same time, your prayers, we need your prayers. Amen. So, um, uh, yes, yeah, so uh, we, we just look at the QR code and uh, you can take your instructions from there. Uh, thank you so much for joining on tonight. And like I said, uh, in the past, on Sunday morning, we're doing a different teaching on standing your grants against the enemy, which will continue on Sundays. But on Wednesday night, at tin up, we're going to deal with what we're dealing with now, the Christian life's warfare. So it's been nice having you with us tonight at the tin up. And I hope you've been tuned up so that you can show up and possess the gates of the enemy and glorify God in everything. Butchie, thank you so much for logging on. I appreciate you, Butchie Brown. Bless you. And have a good, good evening. God bless you guys. Love you. Amen. You've been watching The Tune-Up. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to this Bible study. And until next week, don't forget to check in and get your tune-up.